Hello, and welcome to the All Bets Are Off podcast, a gambling addiction recovery podcast brought to you by those with lived experience. If you're here and having difficulties with gambling, please reach out. There are plenty of people on your side. There's a comprehensive list of support services over on our website, www.allbetteroff.co.uk. It's now time to crack on with the pod. Welcome to this week's episode of the All Better Off podcast, where I have been given free reign by the boys to host our second women's episode, also known as the Boys Skyvin. We will be speaking to Nicole Hanna about her lived experiences of gambling harm, as well as speaking to Liz Carter, who is a gambling addiction therapist and author. But before we speak to this week's guests, we have a couple of messages from two friends of the show, Jean Maleri and Lisa Shearer. You remember them from our women's episode in season one, so let's see how they're getting on. Hi everyone, my name's Jean and I was on the podcast in April with the other ladies. Uh, Just a little recap on how things have been for me Um, since appearing on the show. um, Really fantastic feedback, such positive feedback from being on there. And um, that was the whole aim of it, you know, sharing our stories, our lows, our rock bottoms and how we've managed to turn our lives around. So I do hope that you take away from that, that there is hope out there and things can change for you. It won't always be like that. Um, As you know, I work for Bet No More and at the moment we're going from strength to strength. So that is absolutely amazing. Um, And I'm also going to be a part of Peer Aid. And um, from the podcast that I did with the ladies, uh, the lady that you'll hear from next is Lisa And uh, she shared her story and when I heard it, I just thought, oh my God, we need this lady as a peer aid supporter. And uh, I spoke to her privately and we had a chat and explained about everything that is involved with being a peer aid supporter. And uh, luckily for us, she said yes. And uh, yeah, she's part of the team. So um, peer aid is also starting for the training in October. So that's very exciting times for us. So, um, yeah, everything's going really well at the moment and um, been very humbled um, over this period, um, how getting feedback from my story and how people have actually been humbled, touched and the impact that hearing my stories had on their life. Um, You don't ever get to really know that. And, um, yeah, I feel very, very blessed. So, um, but, yeah, that's it from me. And uh, last piece of advice, if you are struggling, please don't struggle alone. Reach out, get help, because there is help out there. Take care, everyone. Bye. Hi, everyone. My name's Lisa. I'm a compulsive gambler. I thought I would update you all in what's been going on in my life since the last time I did the All Bets Are Off podcast back in April. Oh, yeah, it's certainly been a journey since April. So my story was published in the New Life magazine, all about my gambling from when I was eight years old up until I was 45 years old. And sort of the journey, you know, the gambling took me on and where I ended up losing my home, ended up in a hostel with my two children, you know, and ended up in this deep, dark place. So two and a half years ago, I walked into GA and I've never looked back. So in April of this year, my story actually got published in a book called New Life, which sort of goes out to quite a lot of GA members. And through that uh, story being published, Chris from the All Bets Are Off podcast 
asked me if I would like to talk about my lived gambling with three other ladies. Uh, one of them, Jean, who you've just heard from, actually approached me after I'd, I'd sort of told my story on the podcast and just said, like, hi, Lise, you know, have you thought ever thought a bit about becoming a peer aid support worker? And I sort of didn't really understand what it all meant or what a peer aid support worker was. So Jean sent me through all the stuff and it's sort of like um, sort of like counselling people with gambling addictions, you know, and sort of guiding them in the right place. So, yeah, so I've been going on a Monday night uh, on Zoom uh, because of the COVID. We've been doing it on Zoom. I sort of meet up um with sort of, I think there's about eight, ten members and we sort of talk about our gambling and then we sort of talk about, you know, the peer aid support work and I'm actually going to be going on a course um, in London to sort of, you know, um, go on this course for, I think it's for five days and hopefully once that's finished, I'll be able to start sort of volunteering my time to help people with gambling addictions and sort of point them in the right direction so it's just, it's sort of like, it's fantastic, really. Um, you know, what what a great big change my life has seen in the last sort of two and a half years, all through not betting. Um, I've also got some really exciting news. Uh, my 24-year-old daughter, um, who's got special needs, I've been her, f- her mum and obviously I've been her full-time carer for the past 24 years. And uh, during lockdown, we was asked if Georgia would like to move into supported living once the COVID was all was all over. So we all sort of sat down as a family and decided, and Georgia decided that she wants to move out and she wants to move into supported living. So just what a fantastic opportunity it is for Georgia, you know. So she's going to be being looked after by carers. It's literally five minutes from where we live. So I can sort of, you know, she can come home when she wants. She can come back weekends if she wants. It, you know, it's it's pretty much up to Georgia. So obviously that's going to allow me a lot of free time uh, because I'll no longer be sort of looking after Georgia to sort of, you know, really concentrate on becoming a peer aid support worker. And I think, you know, there's nothing like lived experience. You know, I've actually been through sort of hell and back, you know, with my gambling addiction. I have hit rock bottom. And also just, I think just because I'm a woman as well, I think there's quite a lot of women out there that have got gambling addictions, but it's such a a male-dominated you know, addiction. I think women struggle to sort of talk about it. So yeah, I just wanted to put this message out just to everybody who's listening, you know, never give up. Um, you know, if, if you want to read my story in the New Life magazine, or if you want to listen to my podcast, you know, there's always hope. And, you know, there's always places to turn to. So yeah, uh, thanks ever so much for Chris for this wonderful opportunity from the All Bets Are Off podcast and a massive thank you to Jean who you've just heard from who got in touch with me uh, after I did my podcast to tell me about the peer aid support work. So thanks ever ever so much for all listening. My name's Lisa, I'm a compulsive gambler. I'm sure you will all agree that it was wonderful to hear how well Jean and Lisa are doing. All of us at the All Better Off podcast send you our best wishes and we do to Sarah who also appeared on Women's Week in season one and to Kelly who hosted the episode. Keep up the great work. 
Now, let's crack on with the pod and speak to our first guest, Nicole Hannah. Welcome to the pod, Nicole. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Tracy, and thank you for having me on today. Oh, no problem at all. We're really pleased to have you on. For our listeners who are not familiar with you, can you explain a little bit about yourself and how you became to be involved with gambling? Yeah, so a little about myself. Um, I'm 42 years of age. Um, a single mother to a beautiful boy, a young teenager now. How I got involved with gambling um, pretty much started over a decade ago, sadly. Um, I worked, uh, when I first was introduced to gambling, I'd worked within the luxury goods sector. So the uh, what they call the top end of luxury goods um, in senior management. And I worked a lot with high profile clients, etc., and within that industry, um, there was a lot of involvement with high-end casinos, particularly in central London and in other countries, mostly in Europe. And it was quite common for us to be associated with the high-end private members' casinos, whereby sometimes we would take clients for dinner and vice versa. Um, it was a bit of a meeting place. But funnily enough, at the time, um, during, my, during my career rather, I had no um, inkling, no motivation to ever gamble whatsoever. Um, it was just purely an introduction. But as the years had gone on, um, I hit a bit of a rock bottom place. Well, not my absolute rock bottom, having now realised um, with gambling, that due to certain circumstances in my life, I, after being... Um, introduced by a friend of mine on a night out and not as a uh, luxury goods manager with VIP clients, I went on a recreational night out, which very soon turned and escalated into myself becoming a problem gambler. Initially, not so much. I became a binge gambler, I like to call it. And as it progressed and spiralled, I was using it as a form of escapism having realized that now um so that was pretty much my introduction to gambling once it had escalated over the years like I said being a binge gambler I call it every time certain things would surface in my life <clears throat> from previous traumatic experiences we'll say um I would revert to gambling again as a form of escapism and initially it started off within casinos in-house casinos um, turning then to online having been introduced via the casinos to online gambling online and then it went to absolutely every form of gambling possible so it was pretty much over a 10-year period um, even going into bookmakers gambling um, in my lunch breaks or between meetings. Um, it would be from everything, from sports onto boxing, golf, you name it. I covered literally every part of gambling throughout the sector, sadly. Yeah. Um, thanks for that, Nicole. And I think it's really important to recognise how you said that you went into the casinos with no intention of gambling, but you came addicted quite quickly. Um, you mentioned that you visited many of the land-based casinos. Can you explain what ex what you experienced throughout your time in them? Yeah, I think with myself personally, as a 
as a um, consumer, I experienced on a personal level, my one, my evident erratic gambling, um, being solo, a single woman on her own, um, when I was gambling excessively and to the extreme, um, literally throughout the night, I mean, you name it, any hour that I had the opportunity, gambling completely erratically and with no intervention. So like so many, I was made a VIP with every single operator that I ever gambled with, whether it be online or in-house on land casinos. Um, no intervention whatsoever, no due diligence carried out. Sadly, as the time escalated and I became very drawn into the gambling world, um, being a problem gambler by that stage, I had sadly um, started to see very much of what I call the underworld of gambling. Um, you know, when one runs out of money at the table, um, whether it's roulette table, whether it's slots in-house. Unfortunately, what's not addressed today, which I do like to highlight, highlight rather, is, um, is the underworld because I believe that it's what causes so much harm and that is loan sharks. Um, as I've mentioned before, um, it is very common in the high-end casinos that when you are losing at a table that there are those what I call the vultures waiting to see you you know standing at the cash machine or going to the cashier and seeing that you really have exhausted all your funds at that time and I mean it would be things like you know one go and have a cigarette or have a drink or just take a breather out on the terrace in a private members club. And before you know it, there could be three people talking to you, knowing that you've had a shitty night and you're really at the end of your tether, asking, do you have anything to sell? Um, do you need a loan? You know, can I help you? And before you know it, it's that easy, you know, um, and it can escalate so fast, irrespective of how much you borrow on the night. They are sharks. They're not there to gamble. They're there, there to lure you in at your lowest and most vulnerable. And the interest that is put on, and if you don't meet the demand, um, demands rather, and you don't meet what's expected in terms of money back, then that's when the heavy weight comes on you. And it can include threats. It can include visits to your to your front door, etc. Um, I think because I spent a lot of time at various different casinos, I saw lots of things go on. So, you know, whether it's just the consumers themselves, the different types of consumers. You know, I think like all gamblers, you know, once you're frequenting a place so often, you start to know the other consumers. You almost build a bit of a pack together uh, a bit of a friendship you know you're all in the same boat but everyone's a bit in denial um, and it would be amongst a lot of those that either worked in London or traveled to London so others that could include of every profession out there lawyers doctors as we know there have been former police there have been fire uh, um, brigade workers they've been firemen and women of all walks of life um, but yeah, when I say the underworld, uh, look, I've seen people sadly sell their cars, you know, even down to selling their homes to loan sharks. Um, I do have experience of realising now and have been in that situation that also it's a territorial thing. 
So each casino in different areas are run by specific groups. Um, and, and some of them drug related as well. They pounce on the very young and vulnerable that are really in the stuck and in trouble. And uh, they lure them into the drug world. You know, I'll lend you money. You do so and so for me. Fortunately, I never got involved in any of that for me. Um, but unfortunately, it comes with a lot of devastation, not only the gambling itself, the devastation and harm that that can cause individual and others. But when you start talking about the underworld, I think it's a whole different league and a different kettle of fish. And uh, the crime associated is so extreme. Yeah, I think it's fascinating what you've just said about the loan sharks in itself, you know, that they're targeting vulnerable people and they're almost going into these casinos to target people, watching them, seeing them lose money, knowing that they've got no more means of doing it. And actually, they're desperate to put another bet on. So they're going to accept anything, aren't they? And luckily for yourself, you, you didn't get involved in any other like sort of drug routes or anything. But I would imagine that there's going to be a lot of people that did. Um, I love the way you're speaking so honestly, and I'm sure it's been really fascinating for our listeners to listen to an insight into the gambling. Going on to your recovery, what what is it that made you stop gambling? Um, there were various things. Um, one of the main things is is that I'd got myself into trouble. Um, I don't know if that was really the main thing. I I think. I had hit the lowest point, um, as I previously discussed, that one can go. Um, I think having dealt with loan sharks, people on my back, finances, ill health, um, a real culmination of challenges and difficulties sent me spiralling out of control um, that I was uh, ready to end my life. And it got to that stage where I was beyond even just feeling suicidal let's say and I reached out um, to the London Gambling Clinic uh, a professor Henrietta Bowden-Jones fortunately answered my desperate plea in the middle of the night and I was referred very quickly um, to the gambling clinic and was given the uh, DSM-5 we'll call it quote um, category rather criteria I meted I was a problem gambler with a gambling disorder so my recovery started from there I think what has encouraged me to remain on the path um, and now well over the two years of being gamble free and abstinent is that during my time as well with within land casinos predominantly, as well as online, but mostly land-based casinos. I didn't mention before, but I had so much experience from frequenting so often and spending far too much time, you know, with a lot of the team that worked in the casinos. And I saw too many things, specifically with young girls, getting themselves entrapped and in difficult situations and being preyed upon and then realizing that also just how many people within the gambling industry have a problem with gambling themselves you know that is again as i have mentioned in the past something that is very common knowledge amongst what we call heavy duty gamblers extreme gamblers um you know whereby they might 
sit in a competitor's business of one branded casino at God knows what time in the morning. So you may have a manager that manages one casino, irrespective of the area, that when they finish their working hours, they will visit their competitor's casino and you will sit there alongside that manager if that makes sense what I'm saying um, so part of my recovery was realizing the enormity of the problem that is out there and that I'm not alone very very far from and I think it's given me even more incentive to be heard and get my voice out to say look there are difficulties within the industry, no matter how much industry have to have sustainable growth. But this is now such severity when it comes to harm that there are employees out there that are battling with this addiction, which one is very difficult for them being surrounded by it and hiding it. But two, making it that so much more difficult for the consumer to be picked up as a problem gambler because who's going to address it with you? You're talking about one gambler to another. So this just doesn't happen a lot of the time. Um, and also with a lot of the croupiers, they're very, very young, some of them. Some of them have only arrived into the, Q into the UK, you know, working hard and very, very rapidly fall into the spiral again of problem gambling. Um, so for me, these were all, my priority of, out of everything was, I'm a mother, I have a son. How did I reach that rock bottom? How was I ready to end it all and attempt to do so? So I can never, ever hit that place ever again. I have a child to look after who depends on me, who I love and adore. And then I have also friends and loved ones that I've later found out through my recovery that also battle with the addiction. But for me, um, separate to my son being at the top of the priorities, which always will be, is that I cannot any longer sit back and do absolutely nothing and stay silent for all of those. So a bit like many of us, we want to do everything in our power to change. And not only when it comes to legislation and uh, hopefully potentially the Gambling Act 2005, but also just general... Um, a bit of a wake-up call needs to happen across the land, really. So, yeah, that's uh, my main thing, and that's what's kept me in recovery. But also helping myself within my recovery has been a lot of um, natural healing, I like to call it, apart from being fortunate enough to have some incredible therapists in the London Gambling Clinic. After that, um, I had to deal with why I became a gambler. And why did I get roped into that? And why did I use it as escapism? Um, having later realized through therapy and different therapies, I was suppressing uh, traumatic experiences um, in the past, and which actually impacted my working life in my 20s, um, impacted so much of my life relationships. So it took a lot of intense therapy um, but for me to stop hating myself, stop blaming myself 
and to gain the confidence to believe in myself. And a lot of it also mindfulness has been huge for me. So a lot of it, uh, I go fruit picking, you know, I do my foraging, I like my walking, my time with the sun. My son is absolutely paramount. You know, I grow my own garden, veg, fruit and veg. Um, so it's really grounding techniques has helped me enormously. And also being able to help others now is a huge, huge part um, of my recovery. Oh, it's good to hear. And I think, you know, when you touched on before about VIP schemes and we've talked about these so many times before and how we all want legislation to change. And I think it's so important to recognise that I was sat the other night thinking, I wonder if there's actually a VIP member that's actually in profit because the they only ever target the vulnerable gamblers, don't they? The people that are gambling thousands and tens of thousands of pounds. So actually, I would love to see some statistics from these bookmakers to actually prove that their VIP schemes work to enhance people's pocket rather than cutting a big hole in it. Um, and I'm also really interested to know when you talked about your recovery, about any specific tips you've got for women or other women that are facing this tragic cycle? Yeah, I think for both men and women, um, or even sadly for very young, uh, even teenagers, which is so much more difficult, I believe, because um, they're so very, very vulnerable. But if we're, if we're talking about women in particular, it seems and it's become very evident throughout my recovery and speaking to so many women um, through different groups that it seems to be a huge connection between PTSD and gambling, which the experts and professionals have always said there is a huge um, correlation between post-traumatic stress disorder and complex post-traumatic stress disorder and addiction. And often gambling addiction goes hand in hand. So I think one of the best things I can say is avoidance, escapism, we know can lead from uh, past trauma. You deserve help. You deserve the right help. You deserve to be heard and to listen to, to be listened to and to heal and to try somehow to let go of that fear and believe in yourself and seek the right support. Whether it's going to your GP and then being signposted about your gambling, reaching out to possibly the London Gambling Clinic. Uh, I know that GamCare or even Samaritans, you know, they can all signpost and help. Um, and also, you know, I'm a huge believer in meditation and alternative ways um, but I do think you've got to treat the root of the problem and, and get the professional help um, that's needed. Gambling is all about the product it's not only about the addictive side in one's uh, whether the cognitive part of the brain but it's also about the product itself and to not beat yourself up to not know to know that you're not alone and this isn't your fault it happens and to seek help so that for me is the best advice that I can give because I think without the help and the support um, it really is very very difficult and also to general uh, the general population you know that until we break stigma 
and stop judging and start understanding and educating ourselves and become a little bit knowledgeable, then perhaps things will change and improve. Um, because in order for anybody to reach out, we have to have non-judgment to be heard. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, Nicole, and I think you've hit on some really valid points, really, with everything that you've said. And I think it's really important to remember that once you've understood that you've got an addiction is there is going to be guilt, it's going to be a hard road, and I'm still trying to learn it. My husband's sort of hundred a couple about, I don't know now, about nearly 200 days into his recovery, Um. And it's really hard to watch him sometimes because I sit and watch him thinking, is he all right? Is he not all right? And I think it's different for men and women to deal with it. And I think from what you've said, women want to find out the cause, why have they started gambling, whereas men sort of just think, oh, well, I'm a gambling addict. And they just sort of almost brush it under the carpet a little bit rather than women sort of like address it in a different way. Um. What we want to know, and I'm sure our listeners will want to know, is what does the future hold for you? Apart from, um, again, going back to my priorities, so long as my son is healthy and well and we have some good quality times, um, I think my priority other than that is to really now possibly, well, hopefully, and I intend to dedicate the rest of my life to helping others to combat this addiction, but also to help women um, the best that I can through my own lived experience um, to overcome fears, um, to believe in themselves, and really to work with those that are suicidal. So it does cover a big area. Um, I am about to start a counselling course, so I think that will help me do so. But I, yeah, I'd like to dedicate the majority of my time to helping others, but really carry on fighting this uh, battle uh, whereby the industry, um, I believe, are now trying to listen, and some are listening, but we are a very long way away from moving forward fully. So I think that will be where a lot of my dedicated time will be going to, is to hoping and doing my bit to make a change. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to do on the podcast. All four of us have had some sort of experience with it. And I think we have to make change because otherwise the gambling addiction side of things is getting worse and ultimately we're going to end up seeing a massive spike in people killing themselves if we don't start educating people and making people aware that you know you're just a number on a screen to to a gamble uh, on a gambling app you know that they're not bothered who you are what you do how many kids you've got they just want your money and i think you know it's about educating people that you're almost manipulated into certain situations. And I think, um, I know Chris mentioned that you do peer aid support with him. Um, I must admit, you know, they're, they're sat at home. They've got me doing this full episode, sat at home with the feet up. They'll be enjoying it tonight. Um, but um, as well as Jean and Lisa, who we heard from earlier in the show, you just I love the fact that you want to help others. And I think, you know, if if we can start making a little bit of noise and ruffling a little bit a few feathers I think we're going the right way aren't we absolutely absolutely and I think exactly like you just said 
this is not taken seriously. It, it, I mean, it's starting to, things are starting to change. Um, but I hope it really is taken seriously across all, um, in many different fields and sectors, there will be more death, which will be by suicide. As sad as that is, but that will happen. It will increase. Crime will increase inevitably. And there will, I truly and utterly believe, there will be more deaths, not by suicide, but through crime around the gambling world. And that I think we can no longer be under any illusion. That is going to happen until things are changed. And I think the breaking of the stigma has to be at the top. I think anyone who works within the mental health sector have to be behind this campaign, um, particularly as health professionals, for not only the last few years, but this has been several years, if not more, that this is a recognised, gambling disorder is a recognised mental health issue, um, which is noted under the DSM-5. So we cannot have some professionals saying, hear us, it has now been put on the DSM-5, but no one else following a suit in how to treat such individuals. You know, we, we really need to do so much more, and particularly for the young students, um, the very, very vulnerable. Um, I could talk all day about it because there are so many things, um, sadly, that I do know go on in the underworld. Um, and I'm just desperate, desperate, desperate to see change. Yeah, and hope that, I do believe that the operators that are now listening that little bit more, I do have an understanding of the business side of it and you can't just close everything down, but it's about making it safer and putting a bit of humanity back in now and shared responsibility so let's hope please god for the future and change soon i think you've hit the nail on the head there by saying shared responsibility and you know it's not always the gambler's fault you know these can as the consumer you put in tens of thousands of pounds on in a matter of hours there's no affordability checks people are getting and sort of roped into vip schemes and you know, the more and more I look into it, I'm just absolutely flabbergasted. The more and more I learn about the sort of background of um, the operators and things and how they're not safety netting people and they're not picking up the signs when so, you know, it, it really annoys me. You know, when you drive into work and you hear an advert and then they go, when the fun stops, stop. Well, it's too late by then, isn't it? By that point, when the fun stopped, it's too late. And I think, you know, the cons the consumer knows it's too late, but actually the operator needs to share the responsibility and look after that consumer a bit more. And I think hopefully with the change in legislation, we can get some things put in place, affordability checks. And actually, instead of sending these pathetic messages on an app and saying, how are you doing today? Oh, is everything all right? You know, you can self-exclude. Actually ringing them up and speaking to them and making sure you've got that communication and you're checking in with them because I think it's so important to 
make sure that people are listening because I think you've made such a valid point that if it doesn't change, and we've said it before on the podcast, more people are going to kill themselves. And fortunately for yourself and Ryan and my husband, you hit rock bottom, you had a suicide plan or you were suicidal, but you didn't go through with it. And I think it's so important to actually remember that people have gone through with it. They've actually thought there's no way out of this situation. And I always remember speaking um, to one of the guy's parents who killed himself and he's the dad said, you know, they've chose a long-term solution for a short-term problem. And that quote stays with me for so long. And I think, I mean, I work frontline as a paramedic and I'm really thriving now to try and make change and educate paramedics because I'm so much of a, a thinker where I think, you know, we shouldn't actually be taking people like yourself into A&E. And that, that would be the routine thing for us to do for somebody who's got a gambling addiction. And actually, I'd love to see pathways put in place for when people get to the crucial point, we can put them on a pathway and get them the help that they truly deserve. Because actually, it we need better pathways in place in healthcare. And I think we need absolutely more money invested in it through the NHS. Um, and also, Nicole, I just want to thank you so much for coming and chatting with us today. You've given us a massive insight of the underworld, which before this episode I knew nothing about. Um, we're going to take a quick break now. So please hang on, everybody, and join us for part two when we'll be talking to Liz Carter, who is a gambling addiction therapist who specialises in addiction for women. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. The All Bets Are Off podcast is brought to you in association with Gamban. Gamban is software you can install on all of your devices to stop yourself from online gambling. Several of the team behind Gamban have experienced their own problems with gambling, which led to the creation of the product. It's now been shown to be the most effective blocking software for blocking online gambling and a useful tool to help with recovery. Visit Gamban.com for a seven-day free trial. Now, though, it's time to get back into the pod. We are now joined by Liz Carter. Liz is the founder of Level Ground Therapy and is a leading expert in gambling addiction in women. She is also the author of the books Women and Problem Gambling, Working with Women's Group for Problem Gambling and the self-help book Gambling Addiction in Women, Four Weeks to Freedom. Hi, Liz. And firstly, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time out to speak to us on the All Bets Are Off podcast. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work in the field that you do? Hi, Tracy, and thank you so much for inviting me along. It really is a pleasure to be here. So how did I get to be in this position of um, working with women and gambling addiction? Well, Firstly, I suppose um, I'd like to say I've never had an addiction to gambling myself, but how I came to have an empathy with the underlying causes of gambling addiction in most women was was through a lived experience of my own. Uh, about 25 years ago now, there I was Um married and I had two young children of five and and seven uh, didn't at that stage have a job let alone a career couldn't ha- drive a car and um, when I had my third baby 
the the next day uh my husband left for someone else so for me that was a big life trauma um i remember feeling a whole mixture of sad angry scared overwhelmed the world felt like um a very dark cold and and empty place and i remember um for about oh gosh about probably couple of years then not feeling very well at all I guess looking back I was quite depressed and would have done anything to stop the pain and the fear that I felt and distract from my own thoughts and feelings and for me I didn't do that with gambling but I did sort of get involved in a succession of hopeless relationships that really were going nowhere but it was easier just to focus on someone else anything else other than myself and so I think that's given me um, an empathy for the women I work with who have an addiction to gambling, because often it is that that sort of pain and fear and sadness and feeling overwhelmed that is the cause of the addiction, which then, of course, as we know, very sadly, only aggravates those very same things. Thanks for that, Liz. Um I think as well, I, I, I haven't actually um, had a direct impact with gambling. I haven't been an addict myself, but again, I'm sort of being affected by it through my husband. So he's been recovering since April. So I can really feel feel your pain with how, how you felt. And, you know, I think that's what I've almost done, that I almost want to help people. And my therapy and my way of dealing with it is almost um, helping other people and making people aware how bad gambling can be. And, you know, I don't think people understand how quickly it can escalate. Um, but I think it, it's good to know that you've been treating gambling and addiction since 2001. And I'm really intrigued to know what interested you about a career in addiction therapy and why gambling specifically uh, that's a really good uh, question, Tracy, and I, I've done a lot of thinking about this because I think it's we're all better off for being curious about ourselves. And actually, I think it was at first um, that I've always really had a, a, an interest and a curiosity in what it is to be human, you know, why we do the things we do and how our thoughts and our feelings can lead to certain behaviours. And I think one of the reasons um, that I became particularly interested in work with addiction and then uh, in gambling addiction was that when I first started practising, I thought to myself, how does it make sense that this is a self-destructive behaviour? How does it make sense that anyone would engage in something that actually is about an intention to destroy themselves? And what I began to see more and more was that, yes, the consequences of any addiction are without doubt self-destructive. And we see that with, particularly with gambling addiction, don't we? The, the misery the, the depths of despair at the debt that's involved. But what I began to learn from my clients in practice, both, you know, both men and women, was that actually it was often that the addiction was an 
a subconscious or an unconscious attempt at survival. You know, it was a, a coping mechanism, a survival strategy. Uh, so I was saying earlier on, often a distraction from other life issues and, and life problems. And I was very much attracted to the idea of helping someone to be able to work in a very holistic way. So to be able to stop the behavior, yes, absolutely, that's essential. And of course, that's what everyone wants. And my experience was that I could develop uh, and be creative and help people stop the initial um, impacts of the behavior in about four weeks, but then to stay stopped and to do a rewarding lifelong recovery, you needed to work on life itself and to identify where that need for survival was coming from, you know, what was causing somebody so much pain that they needed to put through themselves through the ultimate misery of an addiction and work to make changes in those areas. So essentially what I'm doing underneath the addiction is working to help somebody really understand themselves, you know, understand how to have a working relationship with themselves and with other people in their life and create a, re a rewarding life. And for me, that is, that is rewarding in itself. You know, I love the work that I do and it's got me hooked. Oh, thanks for that, Liz. I think it's a really good point that you make as well about how a lot of the time there can be triggers that have caused people to almost go for this escapism. I know I, I still think now that my husband, um, he's gone through quite a lot of um, trauma in the last um, sort of five years. Um, a lot was to do with like a court case with his son and things like that. So I think that was always a trigger with him. Now, he always seems to think it was sort of... Um, he was going through it with it in regards to he started gambling as a bit of fun it then escalated in the but I do think there is contributing factors with it I think it's a really valid point you make um and I know that you've said in the past that you've treated men as well as women but have you seen an increase in women reaching out for help and is this the reason why you now specialize with women and gambling addiction well first of all I I I actually started specialising, funnily enough, before I've seen and we've seen the increase that, yes, I believe there is. And I, I started to specialise because I began to see about 2006 that there, there were differences in the way men and women uh, use gambling. So... And then to go to the other part of the of the question, I hope I'm I'm answering this correctly. Is has there been an increase? And yes, I've certainly seen one. And I believe there are a few reasons for this. And I think yes, one of the reasons is increased availability in the form of online gambling. When I first started to to see women who had an addiction to gambling, there would be a pattern that their form of gambling would be slot machines, not the FOBTs, the hot potato that, that we've all been talking about for years now, but traditional fruit machines and arcades, uh, which 
well, low cost. It's it's very sort of repetitive, easy play. And the women would describe to me just being in essentially in a trance, in a bubble, in the zone where thoughts and feelings about anything else in their life just stopped for that time. And what I've seen in, I suppose, the last six or eight years is that they've then crossed over to online gambling because the psychology is very similar. And I think we can all, to some extent, recognise what a woman gets from online gambling or or, or a guy who's playing similar products like bingo or slots. Again, it's repetitive, staring at a screen. And to some degree, we all have that sense of losing track of time, not thinking about anything else when we're perhaps doing some shopping on Amazon or scrolling through social media. I, I guess we can all recognise that, Tracy, can't we? That everything, nothing else exists at that time. And it's that kind of psychology that hooks women. And of course, since the advent of online gambling, we've all got access to gambling if we want it. It's there in our in our home, on our laptop. It's in our handbag, on our smartphone. It's there in the office or was when we could go into the offices. It's so easy to access it. But I certainly think that's not the only reason. I have learned that we can't take any addiction and explore it outside of a, a social and a mental health context. And I think we see the statistics all the time saying that women are increasingly suffering from things like stress and depression and anxiety. And I absolutely believe, listening to my clients, that their gambling addiction is frequently a self-medication for those things. And I'm seeing more young women coming into my practice. So six or eight years ago, the average age of a woman that I'd see would be mid-30s to probably late 50s. Now I'm seeing more and more women in their 20s who again are suffering from things like stress, depression, and anxiety. And the underlying reason for that is that we're all in this wonderful position as women of being able to choose to be and to do whatever we want. But many of these women are finding that, yes, you know, they can they can choose anything, but if if they're trying to do everything that comes at a cost. And, and often you know, these young women are arriving to see me and they're just wild-eyed with anxiety and stressed, stress at trying to climb the career ladder, have a great relationship, be running kids' play dates, going to the exercise class. And that is leading then to the self-medication and the escapism of gambling, where just for that time, all their anxious thoughts stop as they're staring at that screen. And of course, that comes at the price of huge debt and obviously an increase then in the stress, depression and anxiety they were trying to escape from. 
And what for me evidenced that gambling so often for women is about trying to escape from overwhelming stress, pressures and expectations was that during lockdown, when we had lockdown proper, so many of the women in my practice were actually thriving in lockdown. And one of them actually said to me, you know, lockdown, bring it on. I love it because I don't have to go to the office, pick the kids up from school, take them to eight play dates a week. I don't have to go and visit my parents. So all the stresses and anxieties for these women were then literally locked outside the door and they actually found it easier to stay away from gambling. The cravings weren't there because the demands and expectations weren't. I can't, you know what? I can't relate anymore to that. I think I'm, I'm a full-time mom. I work, I juggle absolutely. My father-in-law's got dementia. I work, and I, just listening to that, I think, you know, like you don't realise it. I think until you take a step back, you don't realise how much you take on, do you? And, you know, I think it's so... Um, a stronger point that you've made about how women are getting into it for escapism but then it actually sort of controls their life doesn't it and gets them into debt and it almost exacerbates all the things that were causing it so it's almost like a bit of a vicious circle isn't it absolutely 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 Tracy and you know I, I I salute you for all that you're doing you know and here you are this evening doing a great job but yes it's interesting that uh, when I wrote this, this self-help book, Four Weeks to Freedom, and I, I did a little um, sort of a tour of a, of a few countries, I was invited to uh, present it and do sort of book launches. And what was uh, amazing but not surprising was that so many women internationally, you know, from as far as... Uh, Dubai to Stockholm and here in the UK women who hadn't had an addiction could say yeah you know like you're saying I recognize that that's that's me you know the strong traits we have as women to please others and be perfect we pay a huge price for trying to live our life by those rules yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think just sitting listening to it, I think everybody, any of the women listening tonight need need to realise, you know, that we're not machines. And it goes for men as well. I suppose men have got that trait. Some men have got that trait. And I think it's about prioritising really, isn't it? About getting things in the right order and actually taking time out to say, you know what, I need to just have a break a little bit. And going back, what I really wanted to get your thoughts about is about the challenges that women face when entering recovery and what they can do to overcome that. Um, we heard from Jean, Lisa and Nicole earlier in the show, so they really know that we know that recovery is possible. What would you? What advice would you give to women entering recovery? Well, I think it's linking in with uh, what we've just been saying, Tracy, about how we women tend to drive ourselves, those those drives, those rules for life that we unconsciously pick up of please others and be perfect. We, we've all got to work on those and I encourage the women in my practice to work on those. And I say that if you want to 
continue in a strong recovery. And if you want to continue to be there and care for the people that you love, then you have an absolute obligation to put yourself first and to certainly find pockets of time where you do that consistently in your life. And for most of the women that I work with, that is so hard at first, Tracy. And if you were to ask me what's the biggest block to recovery in women, certainly in the first few months, I always say that's guilt. Because once a woman withdraws from gambling and she begins to see clearly then she's always overwhelmed by guilt for the things that she's done and hasn't done that have been driven by her addiction. Because as we said, that the, the consequences of gambling addiction is that, yes, women become irresponsible, they do neglect their responsibilities, sometimes children and partners are neglected but the original intention was always to be able to continue with that burden of overwhelming responsibilities and take the edge off with gambling. It was always that she wanted to, to love and care for those she had a responsibility for. And it's gone horribly wrong, of course, with the consequences of gambling. And once she comes out of that haze of gambling, essentially it's like withdrawal from drugs or alcohol, she begins to see more clearly. She sees the damage that she's caused to the people that she loves. And she feels guilt-ridden beyond belief. And often what I see is then starts a cycle of overcompensation where she's saying to herself, okay, because I've hurt the people that I've loved, I've neglected them, I've been preoccupied, I've I've wasted money. I now owe them everything that I am. So I'm going to give them all my time, all my energies, any money that I do have, I will spend on them. And of course, those are the best of intentions. But that guilt driven behavior ultimately ends up at a place where she feels back to square one. She's burnt out. She's exhausted because there's nothing for herself once again. And then, of course, it's very tempting to fall back into the escapism of gambling when all those stressed, anxious thoughts stop once again. And she can end up repeating that cycle again and again and again. So a big part of reversing that process is her beginning to be what she will feel at first is selfish, but it's actually, it's self-love. We have an obligation to love and care for ourselves if we want to continue to do a good job of that for the people that we love. I couldn't have put it better myself, Liz. I think that's such a good point. And I think, like you say, women really, really do 
they go at things 100 mile an hour. And I know I've probably gone from being, if you asked two of my sisters, they'd probably go, oh, she's really, as a child, I was quite selfish. I was the one that used to laugh at my sisters when they fell over. And now as an adult, I'm a mum myself. And you just literally put everybody before yourself. And even things like I'm going out tomorrow with my friend and I feel this natural guilt that I'm going out tomorrow. My husband's got to do the school run. He's got to put the, and it's like, actually, you know what? I work hard, I'm allowed to go out with my friend and I think it's really a good positive thing to have that time out and time away where you can just recharge your batteries and actually enjoy time with other people and talk. I think as well with women, you've probably noticed it, but I think women can naturally talk about things. So the first thing I'd done when I found out about Ray's addiction was I made him tell everybody because I said... The more people that know, the more people that can support you. And that was my woman's view on it, I think. I thought, you know, the more people that know about this, the more people that can support you in it. And I think initially he was very ashamed of talking about it, didn't want anybody to know it was should be kept in the family. And actually, I think the best thing we ever done was almost go viral with it on social media and almost advertise the fact that it's quite dangerous to everybody and you know what let's highlight these concerns especially with lockdown and I know with the fact that you specialize in women's gambling addiction have you noticed any common themes that differ from men? Yes there are there are differences certainly I think one of the biggest differences in the way is in the way that generally men and women would describe their addiction to gambling, you're much more likely to hear men talk about the buzz, the excitement, the adrenaline rush, uh, to like the idea sometimes of having an audience as a winner. Um, It's very rare that you hear women talk in those terms. Most women would describe it about desire to feel the opposite actually to feel nothing and to be hidden away it's her little pocket of time her bubble whereas one woman put it to me you know I ceased to exist that was the experience that she wanted it it just all those stresses and pressures stop for a while so the products and experience are very different One interesting thing that I do notice too is that I think what we would say would would be the stereotypical gender differences in men and women do show in sort of earlier recovery. So in the first couple of months, men tend to be, we're generalizing, I know, but tend to be, I think we'd agree, doers. You know, they're very practical and they're doers. So if I'm I'm working with um, a man on his addiction and he feels that he's kind of got to grips with the behavior in say six to eight weeks then he's much more likely to say right that's it I think job's done off I go whereas a woman in that situation is much more likely to say okay I'm curious I now want to know more about what this was about for me, and I want to do that in-depth work. I want to understand my 
thoughts and my feelings, my emotional world, and how I can relate better with myself and with other people. Because I think um, for certainly relationships are important to men. I'm certainly not saying that they're not, but I see that for us as women, they're even more important. You know, we have, I think, as women, a strong nurturing and, and nesting instinct and we really want to understand how to get all of that right and how to relate better so I think that's a a big difference and I and I really believe that there are differences in the genders and that that's something to be I think embraced and celebrated that yes we are equal and that's a wonderful thing but we're not identical yeah i think as well it's important isn't it i think from what you said that women almost want to look into the causation of why it's happened and i think that was one of the things with race i was sort of thinking well why has he started gambling is it because of the fun aspect is it because of things that have happened whereas he's just very much like i'm not making excuses for my behavior that i've i've started gambling and i've got addicted and blah 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 and then I think well actually whereas so you can even see from even though I've not been addicted myself you can see the trend there with how I dealt with it as the wife and how he deals with it as the husband um and I know um I mentioned earlier on when I introduced you that you um not only are a therapist but you're also a professional writer um and as mentioned earlier you've got three books published um you're also regularly consulted by the media, speak at conferences and are a member of the Community Action for Responsible Gambling. You're clearly very passionate about helping others and making a difference. My question is, what do you think needs to be done to minimise gambling harm amongst women? And does there need to be a different approach for women as opposed to men? I think I could I could sum up my answer to that by those questions by saying that I think what would be helpful is to have more female voices out there. That I think the majority of lived experience voices are those of men. And it's great that the guys are speaking, but women often tell me that they can feel alienated by that those aren't their experiences so I think what would be helpful is to have a wider understanding in society anyway Tracy about what gambling addiction really is for men and women because I think that now we talk about it more and more than ever we did but I think that that depth of understanding about the causes that you mentioned and we've been talking about still generally isn't out there. And I believe that if we could educate society in general that gambling addiction, if we're focusing on women, is about it's about so much more than just money. It's about so much more than just an irresponsible woman who is chasing her losses or greedy for money or doesn't understand the odds that the real reasons as we said are about somebody suffering from things like stress and depression and anxiety 
I think if people understood that, then we would break some of this horrible stigma that stops women coming forward because they feel that if they do come forward and seek help, they're not going to be understood, but they're going to be judged. And I think as we've been highlighting this evening, far from what we see on the surface and in the media stories, which always highlights irresponsible, neglectful women or women, underneath often is a woman that, that cared so much. She came to breaking point and in her gambling was just a, a survival strategy. Yeah, I think it's a really good point you make there. And I think um, I've been reading an article that you shared on your LinkedIn about women and gambling and how much it's increased. It's almost, I think it went up, is it a third in the last year? Or I think, the yeah, the increase in women actually gambling and people being aware of it. And we've spoke before on the podcast about um you know, it's such an invisible addiction for both men and women. And you pointed out before about how easily accessible it is. And I think the fear for me is that it's so easily accessible, but it's so easy to hide. Whereas with other addictions, it's quite clear to see, isn't it? You know, oh, the alcoholic, or I work frontline as a paramedic, so I can spot an alcoholic, a drug addict. Can I spot a gambling addict when I first meet them? No because they're very, very clever as well. And, you know, they hide it so, so well. And I've said to Chris and Ryan and Kish before, you know, the amount of times I've looked back over the three-year period my husband was doing it, and I think, oh, my God, the signs were there and I didn't see them. But you get, you're so naive about it at the time because when I said to him, oh, you're down, what's up with you? Oh, well, nothing, I've just had a bad day at work. And actually it wasn't. It was because he'd lost thousands of pounds or we'd have an argument over something. And I think it's so valid as well that women are so under the radar at the minute when actually there's probably just as many women gambling as there is men, but we just don't know about it. Because I think one of the quotes in the the paper I read tonight was quite um, true and it says that women tend to speak about it more to their friends so they'll confide more, whereas men tend to sort of hold things back. Mm. I think I think you're absolutely right. Uh, often when I, when I get a new client coming into my practice, she will say exactly that. She'll say, Liz, I know that there are so many more women out there than are reported but they just won't come forward because in part of the stigma that we've talked about and often I find with with women too Tracy that when we talk about dependencies drug alcohol gambling dependencies for a woman often she really does feel that she is depending on gambling just to survive, as we said, just to cope, just to get through day to day. So she's in this horrible position of, on the one hand, knowing that what she's doing is destroying her life, but fearing that to give it up equally could destroy her. And she's not going to give it up unless she knows that there are other ways of coping. And that's one of the reasons that I went into private practice, because having worked with some really great uh, charities who offer treatment, they're all under increasing pressure because of funding often to offer shorter and shorter term work. 
and to take away gambling certainly doesn't take away the need for gambling unless a woman has been able to make those adjustments in life that we were talking about so the stress and anxiety levels can come down and that takes some time yeah thanks so much for that and I just want to thank you Liz for taking the time out tonight to speak to me I've really really enjoyed it and I'm sure our listeners have as well you've you've really helped me um understand how women differ from men with gambling addiction and I'd just like to thank you again for coming on the show so that's all we have time for for this week's episode of the all better off podcast thank you so much for tuning in to women's week and to our guests for giving us the time to explain their stories and journeys and i will be joined back next week with all the boys thanks again guys You've been listening to the All Bets Are Off podcast. To find out more about the creators of the pod, then please visit our website, www.allbetsareoff.co.uk. And don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at allbetsareoff underscore and share this podcast with others. Until next time, stay safe and remain gamble-free. Thank you for listening.